Happy New Year and welcome to your Over the Farm Gate podcast brought to you by Farmers Guardian. I'm your host this week, FG Deputy Editor Olivia Midgley. Don't forget, we'll bring you a new episode of the podcast every Tuesday. Just make sure you subscribe via your favourite platform. Now, of course, the start of January brings with it lots of good intentions to get healthy, fight the Christmas flab and maybe even cut down alcohol consumption. Hmm. It's also become synonymous with campaigns like Veganuary, which encourage people to cut out certain food groups, something I heard from the campaign's founder last year that people do not stick to for longer than a few weeks. But there's no doubt that while 98% of UK households choose to eat red meat and dairy every week, there is a growing appetite for more sustainably produced food, which is kind to animals and to the environment, something British farmers are proud to lead on. This week, I'm pleased to welcome renowned chef, presenter and food campaigner Gizzy Erskine, who's just written Restore, a modern guide to sustainable eating. It follows on from her last book, Slow, which encouraged readers to understand the stories behind their ingredients and how they're produced. In her new book, she looks at the intrinsic relationships between food and the planet, particularly the value of soil and livestock's role in improving organic matter. She also investigates the real carbon footprint of food, why British agriculture is some of the most sustainable in the world, and the nutritional benefits of a truly balanced diet. You're still ploughing on, and so are we. Get Farmer's Guardian delivered directly to your door every week and access the latest news from the world of agriculture 24-7 through fginsight.com. Simply subscribe to Farmer's Guardian. Check out our latest deals at fginsight.com slash subscriptions today. I've sort of been interested in, in this side of how we approach our ingredients since the beginning of my career. Because when I started chefing, I was privileged enough to work at some of the best restaurants in the world. Um, one of them was St. John. And I think my first day working there was just magical. I sort of, you know, got had gone from working in Michelin restaurants where it's all sort of really frenetic and, uh, you know, very meticulous about uh, the details, which I suppose I find really uninteresting nowadays. <laughs> but um, how things look and how things things sort of sit and fill on a plate to suddenly being really interested and engaged in produce so yeah that was it. so that was like a really early thing in my career and then I just started getting every every project I ever did you know so all the pop-ups I did because I've been doing pop-ups for the last mm. sort of 17 years really Gosh. and uh so all of my producers that I would work with all my suppliers I'd then build really good relationships with and eventually start meeting all of the actual farmers themselves and gradually just got really into agriculture. And then after writing slow and really getting a full sort of I like grasp on what holistic farming really meant, and then starting to see how uh, regenerative restorative farming was um, actually becoming critical to the world's health. And then how it then sort of transfers into the biodiversity, into our, our own guts, et cetera. I just got a bit nerdy about it, to be honest. Excellent. Now, that sounds great. I mean, most people, as you say, will know you as a chef, but your new book, Restore, is all about soils. Tell us about it and how it all came about and, and also the linking up with Yo Valley as well. Yeah, so I'll talk, I'll talk about the book first because it came from two reasons. First one was sort of, like I said, this gradual introduction into our agriculture over the years and suddenly really, I believe that I'm an environmentalist <laughs> I've been sort of speaking a lot about uh, environmental issues for way before it's been trendy. Mm -hmm. And um, 
you know, and and I guess suddenly sort of sitting there and really observing that the world was starting to grasp the importance. And I was getting very frustrated with media, particularly Instagram and actually Netflix, because it was, you know, when you, like, I don't know, you'd see something like um, Cowspiracy, I guess, was where it started. So mm-hmm. about six years ago, I think that was. And getting and just seeing this sort of whole of this industry, I guess, I guess I even sort of jumped on that bandwagon very brief, briefly, looking at how dairy and uh, beef agriculture was really affecting the earth. But then thinking that no meat was the answer was really very prevalent and gradually building real momentum. And I started to get look at sort of the alternatives of what that actually meant. What would a world look like if we stopped producing animals you know if we stop rearing livestock and the more I looked into that the more I realized that how livestock was critical to soil health so that was one of the reasons you know I can talk about soil till the cows come home and I that was the no pun intended (laughs) so there but and then also there was a little bit of tongue-in-cheek by the time so when I wrote the proposal for this slow had been out already I was working on my next book which was obviously pitching restore um which I knew was going to be about sustainable eating I started, I really didn't like the term sustainable and I thought it was too broad and I really wanted to bring it back to this thing that kept uh, popping up in my life with all my producers and all my food and my work and mm-hmm. um, constantly, which was this soil and regenerative, restorative farming. So then I started looking at what it would look like as a world because Brexit hadn't, hadn't happened. Boris wasn't a prime minister. We ha- definitely hadn't started COVID at that stage. <laughs> But I did sort of like have a little joke to myself that was, what would it look like if we did have to like batten down the hatches? You know, like what would happen as a country if we couldn't import ingredients anymore? Mm-hmm. And I started looking around my kitchen. I couldn't cook with, a, you know, I couldn't work mm-hmm. with a lot of the ingredients that I love, like uh, fish sauce or sort of kimchi or gochujang or miso. And so I decided to start making them and seeing how they could be made, not only just full stop um but how they could be made with British ingredients as well Mm -hmm. so it kind of started from those two things one was playful one was a big sort of uh sort of political statement I suppose um with how I was seeing food production being a problem and then yeah it's just sort of evolved from there it's quite tricky to explain because it's gone from being me and Rose who uh co-wrote the book with me we went really deep in um academically you know we were reading all kinds of academic papers from all over the world from and and then actually spending a lot of time on farms farmers were coming to us we were you know we really 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 swatted this for, mm-hmm. for a couple of years well for a few years in fact but then obviously it's a cookery book so suddenly you've got all this information piled in front of you you know trying to sort of manufacture this accessible informative book that's sort of like touching every single base point at the same time coming at, from it from a really trying to be open-hearted socioeconomic perspective as well where you're like I my worst thing in food is where middle-class people bang on about how important eating organic food is or eating sustainably mm. is when actually the prag the pragmatic side of the this is is that nobody like the majority of the the British public are not able to afford to eat in the way that we're we're sort of encouraging Mm -hmm. so I wanted to look at it from that perspective so it was quite a muddle a muddle towards the end of like trying to like piece together this and still encompass this beautiful cookery book that is uh inspiring people to 
uh, and affordably be able to make people cook from a sort of sentient place where they appreciate what really good agriculture should look like it's been the hardest thing I've ever done it sounds it sounds huge but it sounds like you've had some you know really good feedback from the farmers that you've been involved with as well and obviously you've been working with Yo Valley on um, the regenerative ag stuff and we often hear this kind of anti you know anti-meat anti-farming rhetoric really and mm-hmm. I suppose you'll have seen on your journey won't you a lot of the good stuff that's going on in the sector you know a lot of good work that farmers are doing and really sort of seeing themselves as being a big part of the solution rather than kind of the problem child is that is that something that, that you've seen completely for the last couple of years I've been in parliament talking with a variety of different charities and I've also been over to Geneva the big Geneva conference for mm. the World Trade Organization talking about a variety of um, different agriculture issues so you get to meet so many incredible people doing this and it's really um really impressive one of the things of going to the, the WTO conference it was really great to hear is how British agriculture the British agricultural system internationally is hailed as one of the best in the world and I think that we forget that we look at all the problems and we see all these things on the internet and we refer them back to being British and they're mm-hmm. not a lot of this stuff is American or Chinese or mm-hmm. you know I mean there's a there's a the, the world's enormous you can point, point fingers in several places um there is a bad side to how we farm in this country. Any intensive farming is not great. But there are what's really noticed in the last few months, particularly, but definitely year, is how much everybody really is trying to get on board with this. I think you can't not now. Mm-hmm. So then you've got your old school farmers who've always done things properly. So we look then at why I'm working with Yo Valley, who I actually hunted down. I've never had that before, <laughs> where you've actually gone, right, I want to work with you guys. Because I've, I've just noticed them for years. And, and one of my big things, as I explained, was wanting to um, be able to do this from a really positive socioeconomic place. And the great thing about Yo Valley is that it's organic. It's authentic British organic produce that um, is actually in my local corner shop do you know what I mean and Mm -hmm. it's actually affordable and there's some really startling facts in the in the book isn't there about you know like the equivalent of one football field of soil is eroded every five seconds across the world I mean it's just incredible isn't it I mean how how does you talk about kind of UK agriculture often being lumped in you know to these global averages which are often you know horrifying when you when you look at these figures and it kind of skews how agriculture's UK agriculture is perceived but how do you think British farmers can positively become a part of that narrative moving forwards um, in terms of you know you know farming in a in a nature climate friendly way you know it's really tricky because I think people are becoming more aware that it's a political issue uh, as much as it is a business one so farmers were given an opportunity to expand and make serious money by utilizing a certain style of farming which we now know has been the most problematic thing unfortunately it's meant that a lot of people see the only solution is well we either go organic which is going to take years to fit in with the soil association and all of the sort of red tape that you've got to get to get to that side or you stay the same and you just try and do the best that you can now I've met some brilliant farmers who've been so groundbreaking in doing the gradual process uh, of how they change from being a a full-blown factory you know intensive farm 
um, and then gradually changing their ethos until they're they're suddenly becoming a carbon positive farm. There's a there's a um, big pig farm called Dingley Dell. I don't know mm, if you know yes. them. Yeah. And I think that they've done some really groundbreaking things. They're, they're doing a, um, a similar thing to, I suppose. Well, actually, no, it's different. Um, but what what they're 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 achieving is is affordable um, outdoor reared meat that's that's um, not necessarily organic, but it's definitely adhering to a more holistic approach. Um, and it's you know, and the, the way they contribute back is get get giving back to the soil and actually rewilding the areas around them, which I just think's magical it's it's you know that to me and then and and the way that they distribute their meat is it is it is industry so it's more like uh into restaurants Mm -hmm. but it's but it's done in a way that i think a lot of chefs who would still be buying from farms that they don't even realize are intensive farms um that can be be more affordable and they really make a song and dance about it in such a positive way and i think other farmers should really look at, at that and see the positive moves that it doesn't mean, I mean, you don't have to, you know, the dream situation would be to get to a, a really organic, um, completely holistic perspective to really change the world, but it can take, it's going to take years and nobody's business. You know, that, I think what's really great about Diggy Dell is that they've actually proved that they've made it a financially viable uh, business as well. You know, they're actually mm-hmm. making more money now than they did before. So I think, I think it's, it's just, the two things together, the politics meets, they're actually three things, history, politics, and then business are all really complicated. We know that farmers aren't getting paid what they should be for their produce from the supermarkets. You know, it's a, mm-hmm. as you know, it's such a convoluted subject. And what do you think that the farming industry can do to communicate the message to consumers that, you know, they are working, as you say, many are, you know, might not say switch to organic, might not be feasible, certainly won't be feasible for everyone but they are you know it's about balance isn't it and a lot of them are doing fantastic things for the environment and good environment good environmental practices they are essential after all aren't they to sustainable food production but what more can the industry do to to communicate the good work that they are doing and you know do you think consumers will listen to to farmers i mean i think what's great is that the world is watching uh, environmental Mm -hmm. issues and i think what's the what I'm more worried about I think the consumer is crying out to hear more about agriculture I think if people were asked to ask me what the next big trends in food would be I think it is agriculture and and, uh, climate positive foods I think that is without doubt I don't even think it's a specific style of cuisine I think this is what the world needs but um what I'm more concerned about is the people jumping on the bandwagons and showcasing, well, look, we, we, are, we do British grown food or we do, but they're still working in the monocrop culture. So I think, I think if you're, if you're working within a regenerative um, cycle, then you should be putting it out there really, you know, putting, wearing it on your sleeve. It's mm-hmm. really, it's a really cool thing that you're doing if you're doing that. We have to change how we look at food now. We have to. And what's been great actually is how we observe other cultures and how other 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 cultures are, or countries work within this. You know, one of the greatest things I've seen and I've written loads about in Restore is taking animals back to um, pasture. So that's one of the biggest things that I like one of the things I got most excited about was just thinking god we were so used to sitting in in the bracket of chicken uh lamb beef pork but actually going and looking at all these old dairy animals who are that would normally have 
got to the end of their careers as dairy animals and then uh, be sent off to slaughter and possibly end up in dog food or be exported or whatever. But actually, we're now looking at what they do in Spain or, uh, you know, Spain really has that very famous sending their, their dairy cows back to pasture and creating this amazing uh, meat, which if you can imagine a dairy cow being pretty dormant most of its life, and then you compare that to a Wagyu cow that's been dormant, guaranteed for most of its life. Now, you send that back to pasture, it suddenly has this huge inge- injection of, um, God, I, could, I could always want to say um, it's chlorophyll, isn't it? Not chloroform. Two very different things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, best not to get those confused. <laughs> um, so, um, and suddenly they take on all of this nutrition mm-hmm. and they're lovely Fatty, but like good fatty animals because then yeah, they've marbling, been sent yeah. back. Yeah, mm-hmm. really good marbling, great meat color. And suddenly you've sort of given, I mean, I know it's a sort of, you know, if we're going to eat meat, there is some slaughtering at the end of it. It's just mm. way of the world, but we're 80% um, meat eating country still anyway. And I just think we've just got to look at the best that we can do in that situation and sustainability and bringing animals back to pasture and bringing, getting the soil coming back to life is, is for me, one of the most sustainable and groundbreaking things you can do. And I'm really proud of the farmers in the UK that are doing this. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to remember that, God, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm, I'm, I can't, the cows, what an animal's poo, the bacteria in their stomach is what has all of these, this sort of huge amount of micro- microbial life. The second they're walking from farm to farm and they're thing, um, that's where we're passing over the good pastures and they're treading, the animals are treading it in. And then suddenly the soil comes to life. Mm-hmm. And before long, you've got, you know, one of the, the films that we made was looking at sort of a clover, this really thick clover rich grass, which has just come from a cow pat. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just from one cow pat. So you just got to go that there's just a weird, just a very simple logic in why it's important to take animals back out to pasture. Reinstating that soil is so critical. And also the the role that livestock do play in that as well, as obviously that, that doesn't kind of tie in, does it, with this kind of anti-meat, anti-livestock agenda? Well, exactly. Because we do need we do need it all, don't we? Exactly. I mean, you just got to look at the um, a big sort of cleft of you you get some good soil, and and good soil has roots, and roots is where you get your uh, is what feeds the, the depth of the soil, you know. And unfortunately, the monocrop culture has just sort of savagely taken off uh, all of the goodness from the top, which eventually takes away the goodness from the bottom. Anything that's got that sort of rich in root, which is going to only really come from good fertilizer, essentially, mm-hmm. is going to be turned up with loads of life. And, and that's just, you know, you end up with a soil that's got spores, insects, worms, and like loads of, of microbial life. It's, a, it's not condensed. It's got sort of uh, space for the water to integrate back into the soil which as we know it's that's what we're losing um well is the ability for for water to be absorbed into soil and things just getting trudged into it so it's all of this is 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 and it's so basic isn't it you know we all know that this is how we used to do it and it's just Mm -hmm. such a shame that consumerism has been the problem and i just Mm -hmm. think that unfortunately the government aren't really that supportive in in this and annoyingly it's going to have to come down to farmers and the consumer and I just wonder you know how, how do you, you you talked earlier about sort of things like organic food uh, but that can be perhaps more expensive how do you persuade people to make better choices when they're buying food one of the biggest 
positives that has come up from COVID is the delivery service system. Mm-hmm. Um, it means that you can go online or even on an app nowadays and you can go direct to farm and you can get a veg box. And I'm, you know, you veg boxes are not that expensive. If you go on a rolling sort of contract with a veg box, you can get really good organic veg uh, and actually too much organic veg per week um for about anything from i mean i've seen them as cheap as 12 quid a week i've seen the the average they average about 22 25 pounds a week um that might be the more expensive but 12 quid a week i know that i can not buy the same amount of veg in the supermarket for that Mm -hmm. so i think that the delivery uh thing is a really brilliant thing and i think that's going to be helping so many farmers because cutting out that middleman is just brilliant Mm -hmm. and i hope that that encourages more farmers to grow organic um, the same goes for meat. Um, get a meat box di- di- uh, direct to you. Think a bit more creatively about what meat you're eating, the cuts. I mean, I sort of, one of the things I had to do when I wrote this book was really look at myself as a meat eater and I do eat meat. Um, I really eat a lot less meat than I used to. But what I do is try to eat a little bit and make it go quite a long way. So I might meet, eat meat every day, but it might be like start off with a big roast and end up in a soup mm-hmm. days later, you know? Or I actually save eating red meat for when I go. I mean, I have a roast every every week. I'm a very old school like that. But, um, but the, and then I might buy meat one more time for the house. And then I'll eat red meat if I go out for dinner or as a treat, you know. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the time, I'm just being really clever with pulses. And it's annoying how like real sort of old school advice is really unfashionable (laughs) do you know what I mean you know what that leads us so nicely into the new AHDB which is the the levy board um their new campaign which recently launched around the health benefits of red meat and dairy and um the messaging really is that it's you know that a balanced diet is, is it's called eat balanced and it's because you know balanced diet is high in things like iodine b12 protein all the things that are, you know, mums, grandmas told us that we should be eating, you know, just just eat everything in moderation. Well, you know, within reason, um, have a balanced diet rather than cutting out certain food groups, because it seems mm. the last few years, it just seems trendy, doesn't it? To cut, oh, I'm, I'm cutting out this or I'm cutting out that. Look, I think half of the information that we've got in the UK about uh, the, the how a lot of these things are bad for you come from, again, American uh, papers and I think if you're eating uh, an animal uh, if you're eating dairy or beef from a grass-fed animal it actually has so much nutrition in it and there's something called CLA that you can only get from a grass-fed animal which for me is one of the most important things towards cognitive function but also how our muscles function and our bones and for me it's one of the most critical um, of all the vitamins and b12 also which but that comes from the soil and that mm-hmm. is also you know down to good agriculture and people who are, who are working really hard on on making sure that they you know sustain a more organic uh mm-hmm. sort of restorative uh, if they're growing food off of that kind of farm that is the problem we are losing these new this nutrition because we're referring and nodding towards um you know the agriculture in, in america and things like that the uk still has a lot of positives when it comes to this and we definitely should be eating uh we should be eating meat for sure um again we don't need to be eating it by the bucket load but we definitely need to be to be eating meat for a healthy diet
Well, I hope you enjoyed something a little bit different on the podcast this week. I think it's always interesting to hear how someone from outside the industry with such a huge social media following and influence on people's food choices perceives farming. So thank you to Gizzy for coming on and talking to us. And thank you to you, our listeners. We hope you enjoyed the show. We will, of course, be back with you soon with more. In the meantime, why not subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes of Over the Farm Gate. Until next week, from us at FG, thank you for listening. We hope you stay safe and well. Goodbye for now.